Hello world, I'm Greg Patton. Hello world, special edition, demon possession, and the Christian. Over the next half hour, we're going to talk some about our book, Invisible War on the Saints, and give you some thoughts that I believe every Christian should have. Call a friend, tell them, we're on the air. Hello world, special edition, the spirit world. More right after this. Well, we've kind of been amazed at the outstanding success of our book, Invisible War of the Saints, Victor or Victim. God is using that in a mighty way. Available today at InvisibleWarOfTheSaints.com through Southwest Radio Church. Our thanks to them, Matthew Hill and the team, in getting this book together and getting it out, going around the world now. Many missionaries using this book as a textbook to help people understand the spirit world and how far these things can go in the life of a Christian. All we ever wanted to do was exercise Luke 4.18. Jesus Christ said he came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And you'd be amazed how many Christians in the church today are captured. Some don't even realize it because they don't know the truth of the word of God. And that's so very important. So for the next uh, 20 some minutes here, we're going to do a special edition here of Hello World today on the topic of the spirit world, Satan and his demons. You might want to call a friend, tell them, hey, a special by Greg Patton on the air right now. It will be extremely helpful to you. You're going to learn a few things today. To God be the glory, great things he is doing. I know what many are thinking. I know what many have said. Greg, do you really believe all that stuff you put in your book on the spirit world? I couldn't believe my ears. I thought no one in the 20th century still seriously believed in things of demons. I suppose that if you were back sometime in the Salem witchcraft days and those hunts, you would have burned me at the stake. So a concerned Christian came to me after I had preached on the topic, the invisible war of the saints, victor or victim. You know, this attitude reflects the general unbelief of Western secularized society today in the church I'm talking about, probably the church you attend regarding the reality of demons in the world today. You know, materialism is a reality. All we need to know or can know is determined by the scientific method, right? You know, when people talk like this, they're not arguing with me, but with the Lord Jesus Christ, whose words about the reality of demons are recorded in the Word of God again and again and again. God's authoritative message to men. Closely related to this form of unbelief is the attitude of another Christian man. This guy's a psychiatrist. He said, I must believe that demon possession is real because it is taught in the Bible. However, I have never seen a case, never. I think that such things are not very common in the world today, particularly in, well, like America. Though he accepted the Bible as the true authority, his knowledge, his experience was limited. I often ask the question in my meetings, do you know everything? And regards to what I'm talking about, do you think this could lie out of what you know? Get it? So with this guy, then, the presence or the absence of uh, demons, I guess what many are calling demonization today in the United States or in any foreign country, what do we say? Demonization. 
With so many today, there's not really any indication that they know about symptoms uh, to seek or how to test the presence of uh, an inhabiting spirit within a, a client. Talking about this psychiatrist again. One of those in our past that we have leaned on heavily is C. Fred Dickerson. Back in, uh, well, the year I was saved, he said he witnessed his first case of demonization, the year that Moody Press published his book, Angels, Elect, and Evil, which has been read popularly, widely, and used as a textbook in many colleges and seminaries. Dickinson said he witnessed a change of personality when a colleague addressed a demon in a depressed and confused person. After about 20 minutes, the counselee returned to normal and was unaware of anything that had happened before. We've experienced this time and time again in our ministry. The demon claimed that he had a right to be in this person because the girl's aunt was involved in a seance. Dickinson said, I was just startled by this new experience, but also witnessed God's control of the situation as my colleague exercised his authority in Jesus Christ. Dickinson, who has encountered hundreds of cases of demonization, many of whom he counseled on several occasions, he, he conferred with others who have also counseled in this area. There's more and more now, including some psychologists and psychiatrists. There have been presentations of the reality of the demon world, and the reality of demonization, and a biblical and clinical method of treating this problem. There are presentations out there. They've been given to pastors, professional counselors, and to students in formal courses taught at Moody Bible Institute in undergraduate and graduate level courses there. Sure. My colleague and I, Dr. Ken Copley, coming out with a new work for pastors and those who want to work in this area should be published pretty soon in 2024. You know, the results are encouraging as you work with people, honoring the Lord Jesus Christ and doing what the Bible says. Many have been permanently helped, permanently freed from the slavery, the bondage, being captured by these evil things, certainly an evil influence. Most have a boatload of testimonies if you've worked very long in this area. There are others who are now able to help those that are afflicted because of training that they've received. One pastor who took a course in counseling the demon oppressed said, hey, these courses should be required in every graduate school. Every pastor should have to take these kind of courses. It is perhaps the most urgent and significant course I've ever taken in my life, said this preacher. Another wrote, I especially appreciate the thorough biblical approach for the courses that I have taken and the presentations that have been well given to us. They're sound, they're practical, and ways to use this material in my ministry. You need to get your hands on some spirit world helps, if you will. I recognized for years the need of the book that I currently have out, The Invisible War on the Saints, Victor or Victim. I would treat the things going on in the lives of believers where they were demonized from the standpoint of the biblical data and genuine clinical investigation with the background the Lord has given me in, well, in doing this for over four decades. Should we write another book? We're going to. going to write several on this topic in the days ahead. Once you get started down this trail, there's so many issues. One, extremely serious. It touches upon the mental, physical, and spiritual welfare of, well, most listening to the broadcast today. It affects the disciplines of biblical and theological studies and relates to the area of psychology and psychiatry. The question is, can a Christian be 
Here's the term, demonized. There's a great deal of disagreement among Christians on the question, and it boggles the mind of many, and emotions run high, often clouding the issue and getting into debates and trouble that helps no one. Yet the question's got to be faced. Christians can no longer ignore this thing, though some try to do it, and they feel more comfortable by not talking about it at all. It's become an issue more and more discussed in our times. I believe all Christians today, especially as I believe we're coming down the end, need to be more serious and more informed with regards to the Bible and God's authoritative word. That's it, operative word, authority. Invisible War of the Saints was designed for those who desire to vote their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and disciple others to do the same. It's not directed toward any scholar or up for argument and debate. Obviously, we direct our thoughts toward the New Testament a great deal, though we consider related passages out of the Old Testament. What are the biblical evidences? What are the theological arguments and the experience of counselors and counselees? That can't be ignored. What is the problem? What are Christian problems with the flesh and the world system? Give no place to the devil. Don't let him take advantage of you. Don't give him any ground. We want to talk about the Christian's relationship in the area of demonization. And you know, generally that's called demon possession. There are problems we face. We've got to deal with the preliminary question. What are demons? What does demonization mean? What is a believer? What's involved in salvation? What is spiritual warfare, the flesh, the world, the devil? What are all of these things? We also got to face some major considerations looking at the Bible. It involves a proper approach to biblical interpretation and the weighing of all the evidence out there. It also involves treating passages that are used for and against the idea that believers can be demonized. A second thought would be a, a theological argument for and against the demonization of believers. And a third might be, is there any clinical evidence out there? And here, there ought to be a discussion and a place for reasoning and experience and the type of well, evidence necessary to prove a point here. Case studies, we have a ton of them. We put them in our book, Invisible War of the Saints. What are the dynamics of this thing called demonization? That is, what's involved in the actual relation and working of a demon with regards to his subject? We need to concern ourselves with defense against demonization. How do I stop this thing? Or if there's something there, how do I get rid of it? A proper approach to warfare and the perspective in spiritual warfare is absolutely essential. You know, just going to the basics of this whole thing, there's no doubt that the Bible, interpreted in a normal way, testifies very, very clearly to the reality and the activity of demons. The record in the Old Testament is quite clear. Demons are real spirit beings. They oppose God. They oppose you. A spirit being spoke through the serpent in Genesis 3 and caused the fall of the human race into sin's guilt and degradation. In the broadest sense, Satan may be considered a demon since he is named the ruler of the demons there in Matthew 12, 24. Satan seems to have motivated the first murder in Genesis 4, 1 through 6, John 8, 44, 1 John 3, 12. Demons may have attacked the race in Genesis chapter 6. Satan accused Job and accused God and brought under God's permission and restraint great destruction and distress. Read Job 1 and 2. A demon volunteered 
to be a lying spirit to Ahab in 1 Kings 22. There were spirit beings energizing the world rulers in the time of Daniel. They're in Daniel 10.13, Daniel 10.20. No fewer than five different Hebrew words by the Greek Septuagint, the version of the Old Testament by the well-known New Testament Greek words, daemon and damion. More than 100 references to demons sprinkle all of the New Testament. Four Greek terms definitely refer to demons. That daemon is used once in the critical editions of the New Testament, Matthew 8, 31. Demonion occurs 63 times. Numnata, spirits, 43 times. The general term for angels, angelos, describes demons in several different contexts in Matthew 25, 41, Revelation 12, 7, and 9. It's real testimony, real testimony to the reality of demons that every writer, though not every book of the New Testament, except the author of Hebrews, mentions demons, mentions evil angels. Even Hebrews, however, directly names the devil there in Hebrews 2.14. The testimony of the crucified, risen Lord Jesus Christ carries a great deal of weight among those who may question the rest of the New Testament, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by him, John 14, 6. He speaks the truth, John 8, 45. Jesus accepted the fact that Satan was the ruler of an army of demons. Matthew 12, 22 through 28. He regarded Satan and demons as morally responsible persons who were guilty and assigned to the lake of fire. Matthew 25, 41. And the Lord Jesus Christ placed his claims to the Messiahship partly on his miraculous ability to do what? Cast out demons from the demonized people. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Matthew 12, 28. So I guess this would necessitate the same level of reality for the demons and his identity as Messiah. He gave his disciples authority to cast out demons. There's that operative word again, authority, Matthew 10, 1. You need to use that regularly if you're going to deal against the spirit world. We'll talk more about that later. When his disciples asked why they could not cast out a certain demon, he responded because of the littleness, the lack of your faith, Matthew 17, 20. Note that he did not correct their concept of a demon's inhabiting a boy. Instead, he added, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Mark 9.29, the Lord Jesus, creator of heaven and earth, was not locked into a naive worldview. He actually cast out the demon on that occasion and spoke about the reality of such in private, did he not? If he had not wished to correct his followers, he certainly missed a very appropriate occasion to do so. You know, a large part of Jesus Christ's ministry involved, get it now, Casting out of demons, just saying. The Synoptic Gospels record 17 mentions, 17 connected with the ministry of Christ, and in nine cases, they specifically state that Jesus cast out the demons. Even a writer who does not hold our view of the Scriptures, writing about the Bible's presentation of the picture, says regarding Peter's statement there in Acts 10.38, the statement is clear and unequivocal. It is made by the Apostle Peter during his sermon at Caesarea, and it emphasizes that the ability to release men from the power of Satan was central to the ministry of Jesus Christ. All the early preachers, get it? 
all the early preachers underscored this function as they spread the word of Christ, using it as a powerful evidence to assert the authenticity of Christ as the messenger of Almighty God. The claim was a literal one and had ample foundations in the synoptic gospels, demoniacs presented as the most frequent objects of Christ's power. You know, there's no suggestion that these demons are temporary entities that cease to exist after the time of Christ and after the apostles. In fact, the New Testament witnesses to their continuing activity throughout the church age. Paul and John warn of future deception by demons, 1 Timothy 4.1, 1 John 4.1-3. Demons will be extremely active in the Great Tribulation, Revelation 9, 3-11, Revelation 12, 7, Revelation 16, 13, and 14. They continue their terrible work until Christ comes to place them in the abyss, Revelation 23, Isaiah 24. Though bound completely during the millennial kingdom, afterward, they, along with Satan, are released for a short time to deceive the nations. Then they, of course, with all unbelievers, are cast permanently into the lake of fire, Revelation 20. The evidence from the New Testament for the existence of demons, it's overwhelming, my friend. You cannot profess to believe the Bible and deny the reality of demons, either in the day of scriptures or today. I've stated many times that um, I believe the weakest of all demons, let's say a buck private in the army of Satan, is stronger than any Christian they have powers of supernatural intelligence and supernatural strength. Satan has vast intelligence, according to Ezekiel 28.12. Demons are capable of creating a network of information and carrying out stratagems on the local and worldwide scene. Ephesians 6, 2 Corinthians 2. I believe they head over cities, and I believe they head over churches and families. They may control men and overpower men. An evil spirit moved a man over whom two unbelieving Jewish exorcists sought to use the name of Jesus in some sort of a magical way, and he leaped on them and subdued them both and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded, Acts 19. The demoniac was controlled by many thousands of unclean spirits, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, Mark 5. The power of this legion forcibly arrested the attention of those who saw the effects of Demons leaving the man and entering 2,000 swine to drive them down the hill and into the sea, Mark 5. Their powers are used in terribly wicked fashion. I believe you're seeing a lot of it today, more as the end comes. Their murderous actions torment men to the point of preferring to die. Revelation, first 11 verses of chapter 9. Some demons spew fire from their mouths to slay one-third of mankind during the tribulation. Did you know that? That's Revelation 9. Demons can produce deceptive miracles. Like Satan, they may interfere with the laws of nature to produce all power and signs and false wonders. 2 Thessalonians 2. God limits what they can do, however. Pharaoh's court magicians seem to be able to duplicate some of God's miracles through Moses, but could not match others. Furthermore, all they could really do was add to Egypt's misery, not relieve it. That's what happens to you and I today. Modern miracles and magic may not be mere human fakery. They could be the product of really counterfeiting demons. Just as angels move quickly in space and they're not limited by material bodies or barriers, 
so demons may use this ability to promote all of their schemes worldwide. They are, however, creatures limited in time and space, power, and knowledge. And since there are seemingly millions of them out there, their combined intelligence and powers may be felt in so many places and near at the same time. Their deception, their powers may be very efficient and effective, but we are comforted by the fact that our sovereign creator, almighty God, our creator and defender, what does he do? He limits the devastation of their designs. In general, demons are Satan's untiring and devoted henchmen and gophers organized to accomplish their common unrighteous purpose. And you know, because of, well, limited time, space, and power, Satan's got to extend his influence through these many angels. He is therefore the forceful dictator who demands and secures all of their allegiance. There's no opportunity in any of this for a divided army, according to Matthew 12. They are constantly at work 24-7. Combining their resources of information and power, they scheme powerfully. They have a militia, an army of successful history in the promotion of evil. They seek to control people, Ephesians 2. They seek to control political governments, Daniel 10 and Daniel 20. And they seek the whole world's philosophy and course of history, John 12, Ephesians 6, 2 Thessalonians 2. They are real. Let me say this. The Bible presents overwhelming evidence that these creatures, these beings, as demons actually exist and are very active in the world today. The Old and the New Testaments agree to this. The testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ himself is conclusive. As he recognized their reality, he faced their opposition, and he cast them out as proof that he is indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. Demons, I believe, are actually fallen angels. Yeah, some might disagree with that, but I think they're fallen angels under the leadership of Satan, the first among demons. Satan and these demons are personal spirit beings. They're so powerful, they're so perverted. They oppose God, they oppose mankind, and they're after you, especially those, again, that believe in Jesus Christ, you and me. Demons extend Satan's influence everywhere, and they promote all of his evil, destructive programs. Often they do this by invading human beings to accomplish their schemes, and you can call that whatever you will. Powerful and fearful as they are, and oh boy, this is really scary. It, it shouldn't be. I believe that Satan and his demons ought to be scared of you, a Christian filled with the Spirit of God. Yeah, they ought to be afraid of you. They're no match for Jesus Christ, their creator and judge. And by the authority that Jesus Christ gives you, you can battle them on every front. Christ limits demons. Christ uses them despite their intentions. And he's finally going to cast them into the lake of fire for eternal punishment. It is coming. So we may today confidently rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ to protect our salvation, our experience, to guide our lives into victory in Jesus and not be a victim, and to keep us from all those demonic plots and practices as we walk with God in obedience to his word. That my friend, is great news. 
Do not fear. God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Use it today for his honor and glory. Well, that's it with a big thank you to you for listening to the program, Invisible War of the Saints, some thoughts on Satan and the spirit world. Get a copy of our book, my friend. It's available at the website, InvisibleWarOfTheSaints.com. And I've had my say for today, at least on this topic. I am Greg Patton. Again, thank you for being here. Have yourself a wonderful day, my friend.